You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Phantom Threat. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true. And I have given him what he desires most in return. (laughs) Every piece of me. Maybe one day you'll change your taste. Maybe I like my own taste. Just enough to get you into trouble. Perhaps I'm looking for trouble. Stop! There is an air of quiet death in this house. You're not cursed, you're loved by me. Stop playing this game. What game? What precisely is the nature of my game? All your rules and your clothes and all this money and everything is a game. This was an ambush. Stop! Are you sent here to ruin my evening and possibly my entire life? Stop it! Whatever you do, do it carefully. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Phantom Thread, and the story is as follows. Set in the glamour of 1950s post-war London, renowned dressmaker Reynolds Woodcock and his sister are at the center of British fashion, dressing royalty, movie stars, Harris's, socialites, and dames. With the distinct style of the House of Woodcock, women come and go through Woodcock's life, providing the confirmed bachelor with inspiration and companionship until he comes across a young, strong-willed woman named Alma, who soon becomes a fixture in his life and his muse and his lover. Once controlled and planned, he finds his carefully tailored life disrupted by love. The film is starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Leslie Manville, and Vicky Kreeps. It is written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Joining me for this review, I have Will Mavity. Hey, everybody. And I'm really, really happy to announce that we have a new family member over here at the Next Best Picture podcast. Joining us for this review for the first time ever, I have Fiona Underhill, everybody. Hi. Nice to meet you all. And I'm very pleased to be part of Next Best Picture. Yeah, Fiona, um, you actually are also... um, kind of new-ish to uh, the U.S., right? You originally come from the U.K.? That's right, yep. I'm from the U.K. originally. You can probably tell by my voice. Um, But I've been in L.A. for about a year now. That's really, really fantastic. And uh, you're, you're, as I understand, a a huge cinephile. Uh, Absolutely love everything there is to love about cinema. Am I correct? That's true. Um, In the UK, we have a couple of film magazines. We have Empire, which is the main one. And I've subscribed to that since I was 15. 
Um, so I've been really, really into film for a long time. And I used to teach film studies as well. Oh, God, you and I are going to get along so well. I, I, I myself am a cinema studies nerd. I Every single elective, every class imaginable, I took it in college. <laughs> so <laughs> while, while my friends were off doing production, I was off learning about, you know, French New Wave and so on and so forth. So <laughs> good. <laughs> it's excellent to have you on board. We're really, really happy. Um, Fiona, why don't you start off first? Tell us about uh, what your experience um, has been like with Paul Thomas Anderson and his films and what you thought of his newest Phantom Thread. Well, I um, am a fan of PTA, but I, I'm not completely unconditional. So some people are very much, um, you know, PTA, live or die. They love absolutely everything he's ever done. They won't hear a word said against him. Um, Magnolia is in my top films of all time. You know, it's definitely in my top 10. I absolutely adore it. I love Boogie Nights. Um, however, I wasn't a huge fan of There Will Be Blood. Oh, no. Um, in, yeah, it's not... I didn't like it that much, and I'm not that big of a fan of DDL's performance in it. Whoa! However, <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry for the the con- controversy already however phantom threads um as soon as i heard the title and i found out a tiny bit about it which wasn't that long ago i mean remember we didn't know anything about this movie until very recently mm-hmm. pta kept it really under under his hat until the last minute but as soon as i heard 1950s as soon as i heard london and fashion then i knew it was going to be completely up my street and also obviously the fact that it could be DDL's last performance, rumoured, um, you know, intrigued me as well. And I have to say that I loved his performance in this a lot more than There Will Be Blood. Um, I think it's a lot more subtle, a lot more nuanced, and I really, really enjoyed it. I was a little bit concerned before I saw it about the age gap between the two love interests. So there's like 20 years between them. Um, I was a little bit concerned about how that was going to play out, but I think it is handled well because we do not view uh, Woodcock in a flattering light at all. And I think he is quite a pathetic figure and quite a miserable figure almost. Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, am with you on that. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I just saw Lincoln again recently. Um, partly because I wanted to revisit that monumental uh, Daniel Day-Lewis performance and also because in anticipation for Steven Spielberg's The Post, um, uh, Lincoln of his latest uh, history films, along with Bridge of Spies, is my favorite. So I thought, yeah, let me go back and rewatch that. And one thing that I noticed in regards to uh, the performance aspect that you're saying there, Fiona, is you're right. This is something that I don't think a lot of us were necessarily expecting from Daniel Day-Lewis because the last couple of performances we have received from him, stuff like There Will Be Blood, Lincoln, bombastic, loud, showy, you know, really uh, all over the place also too in terms of creating uh, a, a unique character, physicality, voice, makeup, a lot of aspects really go into it. And in here, it just seemed like we were seeing Daniel Day-Lewis kind of, you know, strip himself of, um, he's not going to put on a voice. He's not going to, you know, wear, uh, you know, makeup. He's not going to, you know, add like any kind of physical aspect to the performance. But 
there's a lot of subtlety and nuance going on beneath the surface in this performance. It's one of the most complex, I would argue, of his uh, career. So I I can understand why that would be more of uh, your acquired taste in that regard. Um, Yeah. Will, uh, let's get your thoughts. Uh, What what were your initial uh, thoughts to Phantom Thread? I thought Darth Maul was underutilized as a villain, and the little kid who played Anakin was kind of... (laughs) 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 Did I see the wrong film? Oh, fuck. Yeah, we're supposed to be seeing the new Paul Thomas Anderson film. What are you doing? No wonder this was so hard to track down in theaters, Matt. No, um, I... I think Lewis was very different than any way I had seen him and any way I expected... I think I'm probably going to be the least passionate of the three of us about this film. That doesn't mean I don't think it was well made, though. It was a complex performance if he was not as fascinating a character, necessarily, as some of the ones in his past. But there's a lot going on underneath the surface in this film. It reminded me of a cross between a classic Hitchcock film and the film that Ray finds his character is making in Hail Caesar. (laughs) (laughs) Would that it were so simple. (laughs) Would this were so simple. (laughs) So, what do you say? (laughs) Trippingly. Yeah, so I didn't like everything about it, but it is certainly a fascinating film to mull over. And I also just want to give props to the fact that P.T. Anderson essentially didn't have a DP and it looks really, really aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, the visual look of the film, um, obviously shot on film. That's a PTA hallmark. I, I, I you know, it's interesting because, like, for me, I didn't think it was the most pleasing movie to look at. But I think he did a fine job. And I thought that the work was exquisite. I just didn't think it was... I don't know. I, I feel like nowadays, like when I see digital photography and things like Blade Runner 2049 or The Shape of Water, that to me is uh, really kind of nowadays what my eye is more, you know, moving towards. But, 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 with that said, I think that Paul Thomas Anderson's photography in this movie obviously is not looking in the future. It's looking in the past and paying homage to classical cinema. In a very, very major way. You mentioned before a comparison to uh, like a Hitchcock film. I got some Barry Lyndon vibes while watching this. I don't know if anybody else did at any time. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I could see that, certainly. This um, this reminded me a lot of... what What's the Hitchcock film where she foolishly marries someone and then it goes on all about, is she going to be poisoned? Reminded me of that. Re- or kind of Rebecca. Like, Rebecca, yeah. Was it Rebecca? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I definitely evoked that, and I guess it also, if we're doing Daphne du Maurier, then you have my cousin Rachel definitely showing up in here, too. Mm. I also d- did like, you know, like some people have mentioned, they very much tip the uh, almost like masturbatory look of the tortured artist that you often get in a lot of films of this nature on its Mother. head. <coughs> Mother! <laughs> <laughs> yeah excuse but me y- you know what i mean usually y- you kind of get the sense the filmmaker is jerking themselves off over like <laughs> oh look at this artist no one understands whereas as fiana pointed out he is pretty pathetic i mean to the point that I, I i texted matt during this movie i was like 
what psychological issue do you think we diagnose him with? Because it's got to be OCD, right? He's definitely OCD. Uh, yeah. And, and potentially maybe somewhere on the spectrum as well. I mean, he's, and he's got he's got massive mummy issues. Let's let's not ignore that. Oh, so that's funny. actually one of my favorite scenes in the film. Uh, that to me was one of the most haunting moments that I thought I was like, oh, PTA is getting at something here that uh, from a literary perspective, I could totally see why the screenplay um, has won a few awards so far. Like, I, I think the film is written in such a manner that it doesn't necessarily call attention to itself and you don't really see uh, the mechanizations at work in, in the screenplay, but it does have this ability to kind of slide smoothly like beneath the surface and just simmer there for a little bit. And I feel like with scenes like that, uh, scenes between him and Alma, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit here, um, that the the quality of the writing really, really shines through in a very subtle way that really sneaks up on you. Yeah. I thought I thought the power play between the three characters was fascinating. Oh, you know, God, who's yeah. who's got the upper hand, who's got who's got the highest status at any moment. Who really runs the house of Woodcock? <laughs> Leslie Manville was incredible. She was again one of the main reasons I was excited about this film. I absolutely adore her. And I would love to see her get a, a supporting actress nomination. I thought she was sensational in this film and an absolute key part of it. Of the of that central trio, she was my favorite performance in it. Honestly, oh really? Yeah, yeah. I thought she worked the most for me. And that's so funny because I'm on the Vicky Creeps train. <laughs> I thought she was amazing in this movie, but that's also because I I can see the potential for her. Yeah, of an actress who is is obviously making herself known to us right now with this performance. But for me, it's just like my God, she is such a fine. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's so much more to explore in her career. It, it almost reminds me of, um, uh, like, well, I mean, listen, I wasn't alive during this time. But, you know, I'm sure when people saw Meryl Streep for the first time, you know, it, it kind of had that sort of a vibe for me, at least, while watching it. She seems to have come from absolute nowhere. It, you know, I think it's great that it's a complete unknown. But she was incredible in it. She was, again, very subtle. Um, you know, there was so much going on behind the surface. It was all, you know, subtext. It was all what, you know, what's going on in her mind. There are some scenes where it's just her and him staring at each other uncomfortably in silence for like yeah. a minute. And all I kept thinking was like, I leaned forward and I'm just like, what is he thinking? <laughs> what is she thinking? Oh my God, what are they thinking? You know, and it really was a way to get me at least hooked into the mindset of both of these characters. Uh, Will, uh, what did you think of those uncomfortable moments uh, between those two characters? While I thought the discomfort was palpable in this film, and it certainly lent it a unique atmosphere, I do think P.T. Anderson, even if it was a deliberate stylistic choice, just generally could have shaved a bit off the film. Because as interesting as certain many aspects of it were, I would say that it veered into tedium at times. Well, it is funny, you know? I mean, the movie's like, you know, it, it's uncomfortable to the point of laughter. And I do feel like there are some genuine uh, funny moments in this. Definitely. But you think that that's distracting from... Oh, oh I, don't, I don't just mean the silences. I mean the whole film. Oh. 
I, I, I mean, and just in general, I think it could have been shaved down a little bit. Oh, so you think it drags? I do. I do. I mean, it's clearly a, a stylistic choice. Um, he clearly wanted a very, very slow film. But, yeah, I will admit that at times it lost me. Uh, I thought the first act was the weakest, for sure. And it kind of found its footing in the second act. I mean, there's, there's some wonderful moments about their cute meat, for the meat cute, have you pronounce it. Um, just the, the weirdness of the way they encounter one another in the restaurant. But I did think, once the film gets into the richness of these characters' dynamics, it's very fascinating. But I think, for example, the first 20 minutes could have been streamlined in some capacity. There was a certain amount of we're learning the same thing about Mr. Woodcock repeatedly mm. instead of slowly with each moment revealing more about Woodcock. Um, another thing I was a little surprised by is I'm not sure, even though it was crucial for what would come later in the plot, I'm not sure how I feel about Vicky Creeps' character taking a very dramatic step about halfway through the film that at the time did feel a little bit unearned unless, and I guess this is kind of the way the film might want us to view her, unless she's quite literally a sociopath. How did you two feel about that? I'm, I'm not sure how much I can say because of spoilers. Mm. So, um, you know, it's hard to talk about the, the third act of the film at all, really, because there is so much I would like to say and so many comparisons I'd like to make to other 2017 films, let alone films of the past. I thought it was it was an amazing, amazingly unexpected, but I love that about it. It went, it went in a direction I was not anticipating at all, but that was a big plus for me. So he, he, he's a he's a he's a man child, right? Yeah. And she obviously isn't, but there is. I, I think this unexplored or just very subtextual desire on her part to want to stay within this lifestyle. Um, and also, too, on top of that, I'll say these two run uh, side by side with one another. She wants to stay within this glamorous lifestyle. And she she gets off on the idea of controlling this man who everyone else perceives is a man of power. Yeah. Is a man that people flock to. Is a man that... Uh, is adored and worshipped by everybody because she sees him for who he really is and she knows she can be the brains behind the operation ultimately. And we see in that character dynamic there with uh, Leslie Manville, she's really the one who runs everything, you know? Um, and I find it very interesting how those two characters are in conflict with each other. She views her potentially as um, not necessarily a threat, but like, oh, you found another woman again, you know, and uh, how, are you going to dump this one, et cetera, et cetera. This is, it's interesting the parallels you have with that to The Master, another PTA film. Ah, Because I'm yes. only thinking about this now, you know, like, and that's the same way Amy Adams viewed Lancaster Dodd in that film annoyed that he brought in a new stray for lack of a better term <laughs> and in reality she was the one really pulling the strings oh wow 
I didn't even yeah. think of that. That's so true. I can see that too. Because she very much controlled Lancaster Dodge. You know, the whole hand job scene really brings that home. So that, that that's interesting that this shows up once again in a PTA. It's only as we're talking about that just now, it occurred to me. But that is an interesting parallel that shows up. But the, the, ultimately what it comes down to is that the two characters need each other, but they need each other for different reasons. And... Paul Thomas Anderson has told that the genesis of the story really came from a time where he was himself actually ill and his his wife. Uh, I, I love what this tells us about Maya Rudolph. And yeah, right. I absolutely adore <laughs> he, he always says that she, that he's ill. He's laying in bed and, and he says, my wife looked at me with a, a, a look of, of comfort that I had not seen in a very, very long time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I do find that very fascinating, though, that when we are sick and we are at our uh, weakest, it, it, not paternal, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That nurturing, uh, care, caring nature um, really does come into play. And it also, you know, becomes a point where you realize how dependent the other person is on uh, that other human being. And Paul Thomas Anderson is, you know, really trying to explain the gender dynamics, the relationship through uh, that lens. And I, I just found it quite fascinating uh, all around. Definitely. Um, can we talk about the score and the sound design? Yes. Because they, those were two, yes. <laughs> two of the biggest strengths for me. Greenwood score. Oh, my God. Score of the year, probably. Maybe. I don't know. I have to listen to it on uh, iTunes when it gets released. because uh, Next week. Oh, it's next week? Oh, my God. I need it so badly in my life. <laughs> the, the score was absolutely sensational for me. And the sound design. I mean, these <gasps> scenes, The uh, a lot has been made of the eating scenes. Yes, Breakfast the scraping yes. of the butter on the toast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my. And like the crunch every time. Yes. I can totally relate to that, too. Yeah. You know, the annoyance of a little sound. Like, that. P.T. Anderson movies is evidenced by the fact that There Will Be Blood got that sound editing nomination. Always know how to subtly employ sound. But this one, it's a lot harder to create a unique soundscape when you don't have exploding oil derricks and stuff. This was uh, to the point that I, I kind of wish this showed up in the sound conversation a little bit more because Me too. to create the landscape of two people who are mentally ill in some capacity, I would say, largely through sound. That is that is quite an achievement and to do it without you knowing it. You know, it's not like a love and mercy level type of that. He must be nominated for the Oscar. Like it needs to happen. Um, Greenwood will be, I'm sure. Oh yeah. yeah, that's who I'm. Yeah, that's who I'm talking about. Like it. Yeah. He he has not been nominated for his other scores with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson before. This is not only his best work. Um, it's work that I know the Academy will probably get behind because it yeah. is yeah. much more up their alley than something like There Will Be Blood would have been anyway had it been eligible. It's super traditional. It, it, it's a classic, like, swelling British period piece score with really recognizable melodies. There's no yeah. experimental string plucking and maracas <laughs> shaking and stuff, you know, But it, but it still was its own beast. It didn't yeah. feel like... I could tell it was a Johnny Greenwood score. He incorporated guitars in there, for example, at times. And I think mm. it's cool that it, it is your quintessential British period piece score. And I wouldn't for a second think it was Dario Marianelli. I wouldn't for a second think it was you know James Newton Howers. It, like, this was 
instantly recognizable as a Greenwood score. And the uh, costumes. Gotta talk oh, about yeah. the costumes. Yeah. Probably will win for that. I think it can. Uh, yeah, I, I would love it to win for costume design. I mean, it does seem obvious when obviously it's a film about fashion. In, well, you know, ostensibly about fashion. But I think it is done so, so, so well. I thought the scene with the wedding dress was oh. incredible. And when you see what goes on behind the scenes with all those women working and everything, I, I found that really fascinating. You know, we're, we're talking about the costumes. I think we also mentioned the production design. This is a little thing. I'm 99% sure if they did this, this is brilliant too. Um, there's a scene that is almost blink and you miss it, where you notice there's busts of Roman emperors lining the halls of Woodcock's house. Did you guys notice that? Mm-hmm. Believe there's one that's like staring directly at the camera. The rest are turned away and it's turned to face the camera. And I'm betting that was Claudius because Claudius was poisoned by mushrooms. Oh, wow. <laughs> and if, if that's the case, then that's, that's a fucking genius bit of production design, you know, in the background. And it, then in general, just this recreation of 1950s London. It's a shame it missed the Art Directors Guild nomination, probably the Oscar, because it was little details like that were great. I think that's the problem. It's little details. And I, for me, I was actually underwhelmed by the production design simply because um, it did not have lots of details. I couldn't really make out um, what was something that was so special about the production design. I get it. It's it's subtle and it's minimal at times. And I understand they shot it on location too. So it's not like they could create it from scratch. Yeah. I mean, if you looked at the detail in, in the holiday cottage, and I thought the contrast between that, that country retreat that they go to and the contrast between that and the London home, I thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, production design for me wasn't the biggest takeaway uh, so much um, as the costumes themselves were. Um, so now that we've uh, kind of talked about um, majority of the aspects of the film here, uh, I'm now going to pass it off to final thoughts, a grade out of 10, and the Oscar potential you see for this film. Fiona, you are the, the first timer on the show. I pass it off to you first. Take it away. <laughs> okay. Um, I think for a score out of 10, I would have to go, I'm probably going to have to say 9 out of 10. Um, it is, in, you know, my top 10 of 2017. Um, I, I did have a preconception going into it and it managed to really surprise me. And uh, I really appreciated that about it. Um, Oscar chances, I really would love DDL to get into the best actor race. Um, you know, if he can be that fifth name in there, um, I think he absolutely des deserves it for this. Um, <clears throat> I don't think um, Vicky Cripps does have much of a chance, unfortunately. But um, Manville in Supporting Actress, if we had Hunter, Janney, um, Manville, Mary J. Blige and... Metcalf, yes. If we had five ladies of a certain age, all, you know, middle-aged ladies who have done absolutely phenomenal work, that would be ideal for me. That would just be icing on the cake. Nice. And I think she abs absolutely deserves to be there. Yeah. I think she might. I, I really do think that, you know, Octavia Spencer, that's just her playing Octavia Spencer as usual. I don't think Hong Chow is going to be beloved enough 
you know, like there's always one nominee that didn't hit any precursors that shows up and Manville is respected. I'm sure there's a lot of people who think they owe it for her for another year when she didn't yeah. get it a few years back. Yeah. But I think if there's anyone that shows up with no precursors, Manville is our person this year. I, I, I actually 100% agree with that as well. It kind of sucks, though, that Vicky Kreeps then would be left out in the dust in a way. She has that surprise dinner scene. Yeah. Oh, she's great Oh, there. my God. Yeah, that's her scene right there. And I think she knocks it completely out of the park. Ugh. All right, Will, great out of 10, Oscar potential. Any final thoughts? Mm, I'm still, so I literally just finished watching this film, guys. So I'm still mulling it over. I think this conversation has made me appreciate it more. Um, when I came into this podcast, I was going to give it a seven. I might bump that up, but I will need time to mull. So um, as of I now. I guarantee you, if you don't do an eight, you're going to regret it in 10 years time when this film is regarded as a classic, Will. This is peer pressure. I think it would help you to watch it on a big screen, Will, as well. Can I just I th- say? I, I watched a screener copy, you know, so I, I, I think that would help. Yeah. It's a seven right now because Matt doesn't let us give point fives. But who knows? <laughs> I might wake up tomorrow and think I committed a terrible mistake. Um, as for Oscar prospects, Day-Lewis probably gets in. I don't think he would in a lot of years just because that kind of subtle performance doesn't usually play well with Ampus, even with a giant like Daniel Day-Lewis. And I don't think it's going to be an Academy movie overall. But, I mean, who else is going to get in? I guess Denzel or mm. Tom Hanks. Like Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal, yeah. And Gyllenhaal hasn't hit any precursors, really. So. No. Critics' choice. Yeah. I mean, I would love Gyllenhaal to get in, but that film's campaign seems to be dead. So I guess he probably gets in. Uh, the score, I think, could win the whole thing unless they really go. No, I think The Shape of Water will win. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it'll get nominated. Costume design, I do think it could win. And yeah. that's pro Oh, and Manville, I think, could show up. And that's about it. That's a, that's a good haul for nominations, ultimately. That's not bad. Reminds me of Mr. Turner. Yeah. The way it panned out. That's true. Yeah. Uh, for me, Phantom Thread, I, I feel like, to me, while watching it, it felt like a classic. And in my mind, that kind of made me go, well, if it feels like a classic, it must be a classic. I, I really do believe that this is a movie that, that you know, Fiona, you know, could be teaching <laughs> to students a- about cinema and how Paul Thomas Anderson really, really paid homage to the classic cinema of old while also taking some of those storytelling conventions, applying it to today's day and age, and also throwing in a few twists along the way. Because as we all know, the third act of this film does get a little uh, twisted. It, but it helps uh, so much, though, that it's so intricately tied to the theme of the film, ultimately, this whole conflict of he needs her, but yet he doesn't need her, and she needs him, but yet she doesn't need him. And how do these two people ultimately coexist? The way that they find um, that answer is unique, to say the least. All the technical aspects of this movie, while I was not completely uh, overwhelmed by them, as I have been with other Paul Thomas Anderson films before, I think there have been films of his that have had better editing, better cinematography, um, I feel like this film at least has the best music, the best costumes. And with that said, I do think that those two nominations at the Oscars are probably assured. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, I agree. I think he gets in. Uh, Leslie Manville, I just put her in my predictions uh, recently because I, I am starting to feel like th- that is the one performance that 
uh, could come through. Plus, as you said before, Will, she is owed for another year. And I just want to say uh, for the record, too, that, you know, there, there's, there's a line in the movie that I really, really like. And it's um, the expectations of others causes heartache. And I do really feel like that that is the case with Phantom Thread. Uh, you should really leave your expectations at the door. Come into this film. Let it wash over you. Let it present itself for what it truly is and not what you want it to be. Otherwise, I think you will walk away from this movie having a little bit of heartache in the end. Uh, so with that said, I definitely think it's one of the best films of the year. Um, I released my top 10 list recently and I listed it at number two. It is a 9 out of 10 for me. Um, I am with Will in the sense <laughs> that I do think it could lose maybe eight minutes you know they're, they're just it does seem like it does drag its feet just a little bit um and if there had been a little trimming involved i think that the film um with a better pace uh could have been you know just immaculate as it is i think it's beautiful it's haunting it is complex it's everything that i ultimately wanted it to be in the end so I did not leave disappointed. I think Phantom Thread is, in years' time, going to be considered a classic. I agree. All right. With that said, Fiona, tell all of our great, dear listeners where they can find you on the internet. Uh, Mostly on Twitter, at Fiona Underhill. Um, I also write reviews for a website called Jump Cut Online. Great website, by the way. I'm a big, big fan of Jump Cut. Thank you. So... Mr. Mavity, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable, especially by the House of Woodcock. And we will see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.